Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki, and today we're going to learn ways we can forecast employee engagement. I'm intrigued and excited to learn from Rosa Shafranik. Rosa is a passionate entrepreneur, loves startup life, and is committed to spend her time and effort building businesses with a strong people function. Get this, she's successfully exited two businesses thus far and is now growing her third business. It's called HR Hints. It's the first subscription-based HR boutique for changing companies, and we'll learn a little bit more about that today. She's received various global recognitions for her incredible work, including the Forbes Top 100 list. I am honored to have her with me today. Rosa Shafranik, welcome to Gut Plus Science. I am so excited you're here. You are passionate about this belief that I love so much. It is possible to forecast engagement. I love that statement. And we're going to dig into like why you're passionate about it and wrap this whole episode around that statement today and help our listeners understand how it is possible to forecast engagement. In your new book, you share how leaders see challenges in the people area as a black box, including these engagement challenges. Let's start there with you helping us understand black box and what you mean. Thank you very much, Nikki, for having me. And everything what is said is wonderful. And I agree 100%. When it comes to predicting, when it comes to thinking about organizing the people area, and forecasting engagement. Very often we hear that people are not able to be predicted, planned, that we never know what people will do. We never know how the team reacts when we, for example, fire head of sales or what people will say, how they will react to the personal changes in the company. And actually, that's why we also gathered a lot of experiences based on our experiences of work with 80 companies from Europe and from US. And that's why we've written a book about it. People can be predictable. There's experiences, there's behaviors, patterns can be designed, can be described, and we can know what's the next step. That type of understanding, that type of thinking that people are the black box is also typical for that type of thinking that HR cannot be measurable. Also, it was the same situation in sales and in marketing decades ago. And we already know that we can measure sales and we should do that. And Afterwards, it was the same situation with marketing, actually. We already also know that marketing can be measured, and it is the same with HR. So setting up the right measures for people and culture area, setting up the right measures for talent acquisition, not only catching how long the recruitment takes or how long candidate is waiting for the answer, Of course, it's important, but it's not the main thing to predict people in organizations' behaviors. So the fact that you are able to measure it and we are providing measures and we are giving that tool to build organizations based on people and based on a business that is driven by people, just not to have this opposition that you are having business on one side and people on the other side, but people can drive the business and can be the strength of the business. 
it is the main thing in our approach and in our thinking. That's great. And it reminds me just regularly, it's like law of attraction is happening around this where the Henry Ford quote keeps coming up. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. There's so much opportunity. And if we can't, it's not going to happen. There is a number of hurdles to go through to be able to be better at driving and leading engagement for sure. Changing our mindset to say, rather than just throwing it out and saying it can't be done, it is possible. And you've seen it happen. So just walking in listeners today with this open mind of learning how we can forecast engagement, because I know that Rosa has worked through hundreds of clients to be able to run this through and has seen it happen. So ready to learn from you, Rosa. So in summary, you have three core concepts that you believe must be the highest priority for focus in order to lead engagement better with forecasting. Can you break down these three concepts for us? Absolutely. When it comes to planning and thinking about measures and thinking about picture of people in organizations, the main thing we need to shift in our mindset is based on the fact that opposition between business and people is false. So the fact that people can be the strength of the business, and it's not like HR is dedicated to be your friend in a company. HR is dedicated to be psychotherapist. It's not the function of HR people, actually. Of course, we need it. Of course, we need such knowledge, such experts. But area function in the organization is dedicated basically to three crucial pillars, I would say. The first one is talent acquisition, obviously. So talent acquisition, building teams, and it's not only headhunting, because for the very long time, we were thinking that HR is bringing people to organizations. and it's about finding great resumes, finding great CVs. And actually, what we know already and what we understand to be successful in the talent acquisition area is to understand how to verify people, how to check their interpersonal skills, their intrapersonal skills, role-related skills. So it's not only about finding a rock star or hunting for the best. It's much more now about understanding who exactly we need, who exactly we miss in our organization, and verify the potential. Recruitment is much more about checking the potential than about previous experiences of the candidate. That's a big surprise for me because we are having customers in startups and scale-ups and VC companies and private equity merging two cultures very often to different organizational cultures. And what we see in these cases is the fact that people think about talent and think about checking the candidates as a last thing to do. Very often when we invest in a company, very often when we buy something, even when we are asking marketing agency for help, it is about verifying potential. It is about checking someone's skills, someone's potential to grow, to deliver the task. So talent acquisition skills and possibilities, it's not only about recruitment. We are having it in many aspects of our life. So that's the first pillar that's super crucial when it comes to verification of potential of being engaged. That's the first thing. The second thing is the people and culture area. Uh, the people and culture area that is based on the communication. We very often hear that question from business owners, from funders of startups, private equity companies, and they ask like, why that matters that I have my communication done well, that I have my rhythm of the company, 
why we need to do that? Because it needs a lot of time of the leaders. And we say that you really keep your money with your people and you really are able to solve your money or you are able to build your valuation. And it really pays off when it comes to the business value because of the fact that when people are able to know what's going on in the company and they are informed well and they are not afraid of changes because they know all the context, they are able to be engaged and they are able to understand the context, not to be engaged in a toxic way, but in a right way. It really pays off when it comes to the business terms. And it's not about people are much more happy because business owners can ask like, what if I have great, happy employees? The answer is that it really pays off because they are much more engaged, but they don't go up with these boundaries. So they are not burning out. The second part is people and culture. So management of already hired people in terms of engagement. So building the rhythm of the company, setting up the boundaries, setting up the rules, policies, giving the tools for management, enabling leaders to be effective and to bring the value to the business. That's the second pillar of our focus of our concentration. And the third one are the funders, business owners, leaders. So the leadership in general and how it differs when it comes to engagement, when it comes to relations with people who are reportees of leaders being funders and leaders not being funders, because it differs. It really needs to be understood well that the fact, for example, that you are having shares in the company doesn't mean that you are higher engaged. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when we've kicked off the first shares programs, it was a case. Currently, shares are not having such a meaning to a lot of employees in Europe and in the US as well. Also, all that stuff regarding relations between funders, boundaries between them and how they manage all the engagement between them. Because very often, CEO assumes that, okay, if I have co-founders, they should be engaged very highly as I am. And end of the day, he or she finds out that their co-founders are not spending enough time or they are not engaged when it comes to enthusiasm, when it comes to sharing their values as they should as founders. So managing all that stuff regarding relations with founders, with leaders and founders between them. It is the third pillar, super crucial, super important, because when it comes to the relation between engagement of founders and engagement of the people, we see that there is a role model here. So up to 250, even up to 300 people on board, we see that the engagement model in startups and scale-ups is the model of the founder. Even if we set up the rules, even if we say we don't work after 8 p.m. or we don't work on Saturdays, even if we say that, and even if the mid-level management, if the founder is not doing that, the level of engagement or the style of engagement is different. People will rather follow the main leader. And it was a surprise for us when we found out, when we gathered the data and we did the research, that the companies are having that role model for so long because 300 people on board, it's quite a big major company very often. And still this engagement model relies and bases on the founder. I think, you know, in us talking prior and knowing how much you've worked with startups and VC, 
you've brought up this concept of, I'm calling it the founder factor or the business owner factor multiple times. And I think the key takeaway is just really understanding that the person that has such a high influence on the business has to really walk the walk that they're wanting to influence on other people. Like we can't have these expectations because we believe this way or because we are this engaged because it's our baby or whatever. We really have to walk that walk as well, because no matter what we say, even if we're not in the business that much, that many hours, our influence is going to be very strong as a founder and business owner. I know you've brought that up a lot, and I think it's just a really good takeaway to say, no matter how much time, energy you're putting in or how much your people see, like the way you're showing up as a founder or business owner, the influence that you have, even in the few moments or the emails, is just so powerful and has to be watched because it's driving engagement or culture, whether you're intending it or not, it's happening. It's super important to remember that lack of reaction or lack of action in that case is also a signal. So if you see the great behaviors, if you see something that is cool from the business point of view, you don't comment it as a leader. You don't react. People just take it as it's not important. Yeah. Even not saying anything is a powerful influence. So let's go into the talent acquisition and this key message that you have around leaning into the potential. I was wondering if you could give us a few tips, some tactical takeaways here. Maybe how do we do this well? What can we do to activate getting to the potential and not just going for the paper, the resume? So maybe assessment tools or powerful questions that we can ask. How do we get to the potential? The main thing, and to start from it, is that we cannot be afraid of great resumes, ex-Googlers. I don't know if you've seen it. We had three years ago that wave of showing where we worked previously and how proud we are of that. So all that ex-Googlers, ex-cool companies, people were putting it in their LinkedIn's. And on one hand, I understand it. But on the other hand, that can be false signals to send to the company because If we think, okay, someone is really great because he was working in Google, for example. He was recruited there 10 years ago. He spent there five years. So we just cannot be afraid of digging deeper. Very often, we encourage our customers and clients, and very often there's calls just to make sure that they really go deeper into what exactly was done on that role. And very often we see that super experienced people are in a totally different place right now because they won that recruitment process 10 years ago and they've spent in that company five years and there's current motivation, there's current private situation, there's current takeaways are totally different. And very often they are not able to be as engaged as they were in this previous company. For example, they went through the burnout or they have this takeaway to be that bare minimum mindset because they are having the private situation or there's energy for the different things. So very often funders and business owners are not going deep enough with the current positions or with the previous positions, especially if there is a great brand standing behind them. So that's the first thing. I'm super curious how people may think that someone else already did the recruitment for them. And they think like that. So they say like, if he was able to work for Microsoft, for sure, he is a great candidate. And we say like, how come? The situation, the context, the potential is totally different. 
the way we go here is very often the retro behavioral questions. And we are not looking for ideal answer, but we are looking for the pattern. Tell me about the situation when. And people are saying, like, I was struggling with a problem. I wasn't able to reach my goal. I wasn't able to get my KPIs done, for example. And the crucial for us is not the success story behind their answers, but the crucial for us is the pattern in answering. So if he or she is saying, okay, but it was someone else's fault, but always my manager was responsible for that. And you are able to hear the same pattern in thinking for the third time in the conversation that maybe it's not the best person for you. And it's the same with changing the job. Very often, hiring managers are saying like, I don't want this job hopper because he or she is working in the company for three months and he or she is already interested in changing. It's not important how long he stayed in the last position. It's important what's the answer he or she gives. And it's not the thing what exactly he says, but the fact that he is having some values and some behaviors that can be described, that can be discovered in these patterns. Because if you are asking someone directly, what are your values? What is important for you? People are answering the question about motivation. So they think, okay, for me, it is important to have great challenges. For me, it is important to work for international company, for example. So it's not about value. It's about motivation. And we are only able to find out about hidden values when we ask about other things. We are having this pattern recognition mode on. These are the two most important things, I would say, in recruitment. And the third one is the fact that we are too much stick to the resumes and we are not very much into personas of hiring. We spend a lot of time recruiting people, meeting candidates, not being sure who exactly we are looking for. And very often people are coming to us and say like, I don't know who am I looking for, but I need CFO, so show me 10 candidates and I'll tell you. And our answer is they won't help you. It will be even more difficult because these people with concrete experiences and answers are not answering your questions about your needs, your values, and the fact what you have in your culture, just to have this culture fit, but also what you are missing, just to have this not only the answer to be the same or similar as your current team, but also to bring additional value. We are forcing them rather to spend more time on describing the persona, who exactly we are looking for, what kind of intrapersonal, run-related skills we need, and to compare people not between each other, because that's very often the pattern that hiring managers are saying, I like the candidate, but maybe I need someone better. So let's wait and I'll make the decision. It won't help you because very often the best candidates are in the first five resumes because we are having like between 25 and 40 companies every month we help. So we are having quite a big scale and we are gathering the data. And we see that very often the best candidates are presented during the first two weeks. But for hiring manager, it's too quickly. So he or she thinks, okay, the more the better. So bring me more. And these candidates who are presented at the beginning, they are just gone in the meantime because they are having other offers. 
that's the dynamics behind it. So this three takeaways, I would say. That's great. I just jotted down looking at how this really resonates for me. And some of this is directly repeating some things you said, but eliminating assumptions based on past experience. So we assume it's like all of us do that in some way with everything. And so just to be aware, how am I assuming just because of the logo, the brand they came from or the title they had? That means nothing if we go deeper and we don't find that there's depth there. Like we can successfully recruit for you in less than three days for these high level positions. And here's the thing. It takes so much depth to really build a relationship, to understand the person behind the paper, to really think about as a leader, who am I leaning on to bring their recruiting expertise? And do I feel like they have depth? And do I feel like the person they're bringing to the table, like we have depth in understanding them, the keyword depth there. The one other thing that I jotted down is just thinking about the whole human profile. We want to be like whole human at work and building cultures of whole human. How are we doing that in recruiting? The whole human and what it is that really motivates them and they get excited about. One quick thought, and I just wanted to throw out, I just did a debrief on a new tool called the GC Index. It was new to me. I hadn't done it before. But the purpose of the GC Index is to understand where is your energy right now for certain areas of the business. So five years ago, my energy could have been super fired up for implementation. And I'm like, I'm burnt out from implementation. I want to dream and I want to innovate. That's what brings my energy. If we're matching somebody because their past skills of like, they're great implementers, but they're like, I am so done with that. It was a really cool tool to be able to just bring what you said to life. That's so true. What you say, very often we are thinking like someone is so analytical, like she was starting from the analyst position. And we said like, okay, it was like 10 years ago. So maybe she was super focused to grow as an analytics expert in these days. But the power is what exactly is she in right now? The fact that she was doing it, it's not the answer to your question. Is she highly motivated and will she be engaged in your analytical tasks right now? And very often we made this mistake because we follow this experience and we fail in that cases. I've got one more thing that I want to dig in on from your three core pillars or concepts that you shared, and then we'll keep going here because we've just got so many things to get to. So you had talked about a thriving culture and strong team building as a key pillar there. I know when we talked before, you said clarity is the standout. Clarity is the thing that allows all of this to really work. Can you bring to life when you say clarity, what do you mean? Very often the problem and the repeatable thing among leaders is the fact that they mix management or leadership with the micromanagement. So they say people are mature, they know what are they doing, and they know what are responsible for. So I don't need to take these tasks from them. I don't need to measure the effects. They are just empowered. It's not about empowerment. The fact that you don't care about the effects of their work and you don't show them that you need it or you use it, or they are not able to feel that you are really interested in how they do, or did they do that for Friday as you asked them. It is the basic problem, especially for the leaders who are having really great willingness to empower people. So they say, we are not taking these tasks. We are not taking these things people delivered because we are not micromanagers. 
and the chaos here and the mess and the fact that people are not motivated and they are starting with a high engagement and they lose it in the meantime because they say like, if no one is interested, why should I deliver on time? If two other teams are always passing the deadline, why should my team be under pressure and do everything to deliver? It's not promoted. So I'm not into that. And also, it's very strictly connected with the lowest bar or the lowest boundary, the lowest limit of the organizational culture. So if we don't react to behaviors or reactions of the people we don't want to promote. So if we don't say out loud, shouting at other manager is not acceptable in this organization, please note it. Very often, people read it as a lowest boundary of the organizational culture. So I would say that the worst accepted behavior, the aggression, for example, or the lack of reaction or just ignoring someone, the worst accepted behavior is the lowest bar of the organizational culture. So if the organization doesn't have the rhythm and people don't feel that they do the work and it's received and it's worth to deliver in the company, they will stop it. And it's not true for ages. People were thinking like that. The more free time we have at work, the more fun we have at work, having nothing to do but spending our private time at work, the more happy people are. And when it comes to the research and when it comes to our happiness surveys, it's not true. People are really into having impact and they are able to be engaged when they can do something, they can deliver, they are able to see the effect of their work and it is possible to have the impact in their position. These are, of course, next to salary and benefits. These are the factors that are increasing engagement. And it's not about the individual factor. So it's not about someone is just engaged. And no matter what company will do, he or she will be engaged. It's about organizational culture. So how the rhythm is built, how the leadership is trained to keep it and to really grow it. Like the same person in differently built from organizational culture point of view, in differently built organizations will perform completely differently. We've seen it, especially currently, we are having a lot of layoffs and we are having a lot of changes and we see the same people, quite similar, but different organizations. And they are totally different when it comes to effects, when it comes to engagement and performance. The one thing that I just jotted down there is it just inspired me. I was listening to something about the statistics around contribution and that being core for people. That's what they want to feel is like they are meaningfully contributing. People crave to meaningfully contribute. And so much of what we talked about today, we have to lead them to the right position that is going to fuel their energy and providing them with the feedback and guidance and support ongoing so that they feel that connection. They're not looking for 40 hours of pay per week and have multiple hours to be able to do what I want. They crave contribution and being seen and recognized for their great work. We all get to have a hand in leading more people to that. One quick thing before I want to talk about your book, and then we'll head over to our lightning round, is you have some checklist items, I think, that you found to be core leading indicators just to kind of wrap up with this engagement checklist for forecasting. I think you were going to share some of those. As we believe and as we checked also in practice, 
that things are repeatable when it comes to red flags, when it comes to problematic situations that may be in front of us in future. And very often they are just common for leaders. They are just common for the teams. The really short list of the problems that can be for us the signal that something is changing in the engagement area for the team or for our employee is the fact that we see that the pattern we know from recruitment, that's why it's super important to check the patterns of behaviors and the values during the recruitment process, that these patterns are different than declared or different than at the beginning. If someone is saying, I really love working with customers and I really enjoy helping them, I really enjoy being on board with solving the problems, and suddenly someone is skipping the meetings and someone is trying to avoid meetings with customers, that's the first signal. The second signal, pretty dangerous thing, that someone is not having an impact and he or she is really highly engaged. The problem is that leaders are very often super glad that they are having motivated and engaged and burning uh, person. But the truth is that if someone is having burnout, very often he or she is burnout because previously they were burning. And if someone is really motivated and doing a lot and trying pretty hard and doesn't have a chance to really get there and make that impact, it's very often when they have that breakdown. So they say, like, I put a lot of energy and time and it doesn't pay off. So that's the second thing. And very often we see that super engaged leaders, super engaged team members are just burning out after two, three years in a company because they are trying super hard and there is no organizational culture supporting that and enabling things to be done. And real quick, I want to make sure that you define when you say burning versus burnout versus engagement, I think those were the three, just so everyone knows having clarity around that terminology. I think we all kind of have our different definitions, but I know you said burning, burnout, and engagement. Make sure we understand those. Being engaged is the healthy one. Being highly motivated, feeling the part of the company and really fighting for being better and also enjoying it. Burning is one step higher and it's the first dangerous moment. People are trying too hard, we could say. So they are so engaged that they are, for example, becoming aggressive or they are fighting with others. So they are really able to do a lot and sometimes it's not healthy. So that's burning and burning out is the next step after it because they say like, okay, organization is not supporting me in reaching my goals and you don't appreciate how I fight for my goals, what I do, so I'm done. Rosa, before we head over to our lightning round, tell us about your new book. Yeah, as we discussed previously, we are having a lot of experiences working with organizations in change. So we decided to write down the things that are repeatable because of the fact that we've helped more than 80 companies so far in just two years. And we see the patterns in organizations. So how people behave in hiring, how people behave in organizational culture aspects, how they lead, how they manage teams are repeatable when it comes to the stage of growth of the company. Of course, people differ. And of course, leaders are super individuals. 
but very often someone has already been in the place where you are currently. We can use that knowledge. We can use that patterns. We can get the knowledge about mechanisms. How does it work? For example, when it comes to motivation, to engagement or the regulations of group dynamics, we have that knowledge already. So we decided to write Culture Ivy and the title is Culture Ivy, The Power of Changing a Workplace. We'll be linking it out in the show notes and with the marketing of this episode so that people can go get their copy. We're so excited for you and congratulations. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today. We'll come back, but we're going to do a quick lightning round just to learn of Rosa's, some of her favorite things. So we'll be right back. Shout out to the Talent Talks podcast by Titus. Show host Jonathan Reynolds, CEO of Titus Talent, brings a unique blend of fun, humor, and passion. Jonathan's vibrant energy shines through the microphone as he engages with every guest live, creating a captivating synergy. Jonathan collaborates with each guest to delve into topics that empower leaders to make optimal hiring and engagement decisions from a people-first lens. You gotta give this podcast a try. Talent Talks. All right. Hey, it's Nikki back with Rosa Shafranik. This has been such a great episode today around just helping all of us to understand that it is possible to forecast engagement. So many great tips that we learned today. And we'll get to learn a little bit more about HR Hints, Rosa's business here in just a minute. But we have a couple questions, Rosa, that we'd love to learn just more about the personal side of you. So if you could pick one book to add to our ever-growing recommended reading list for leaders, what one favorite book would you recommend? For the last year, it's definitely the latest book of Kim Scott. So it's just work. It's much more about confronting biases and about confrontation. So putting people out of comfort zone when it comes to growth and feedback. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. So Rosa, tell us something aside from work that you obsess over. I love theater and actually I'm the theatrical freak and I watch one play up to 15 times. And I also sometimes force my beloved team to go with me on company birthday or any other evenings. We always go to the theater and my managers also know that, okay, let's do something for Rosa if she's having a birthday or something. Okay, let's go to the theater. I love that. Do you have a favorite play? Is there something that takes the very top? I love Shakespeare, so I'm pretty classical. Okay, and share with us a quote or a saying that regularly comes up as inspiration for you just on the regular. I'm thinking about Peter Thiel, the startup guy in the past now, the great authority and a mentor. He said that the way from zero to one, it's much more challenging and difficult than any other way. So no matter if you go from one to two or from two to three and all that stuff, it's less challenging and difficult than from zero to one. And I really believe that because I see how much struggle and how much difficulty brings building things from scratch. That's so inspiring as well. So thank you. I'm sure you filled a number of listeners cup with that reminder. Rosa, before we go, tell us about HR Hints and also how to connect with you after this episode. Just Listeners staying in touch, knowing of your resources, give us that as our wrap up. Sure. Thank you. HR Hints is the company operating in a subscription model. And that's super unique because we are working hands-on and we are working directly with companies. We are 
teaching them how to make people strength of the business. And as we discussed, we've helped so far more than 80 companies. If you want to see how it is possible that HR can be business-driven and that it is repeatable and it can be standardized, just check it out. It's hrhints.io. That's the website. And of course, as you said, I'm on LinkedIn. Feel free to drop a line there. All right, here's my truth you can act on from my conversation with Rosa. Number one, talent acquisition is really about finding the right person for the job and also matches for culture, the right fit. Stop hiring based on past accomplishments and focus on future potential as you're looking to make that perfect match. So Rosa's key message today was around really focusing on future potential when it comes to talent acquisition and not leaning into like just past places of work or past accomplishments. I love that. Number two, successful recruiting takes depth in relationship building, and we have to know the whole human profile for our candidate to really be a good match. It takes time and it takes depth. Number three, understand healthy engagement and know when the line is crossed to burning in order to prevent burnout. just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.